1: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of Comic Book Nation The official podcast of comicbook.com I'm your host, Kofi Outlong With me today are my two co-hosts for the day Mr. Charlie Ridgely's here What up? And Mr. Matthew Aguilar is here. What's up? And today, we got a lot of stuff to uh, talk about. As you can see from the boards behind us, if you're watching this on video, if you're just listening to the podcast, we're going to be talking a little bit about what's going on with the Marvel Loki series. We're going to talk about some new looks we got at the Batman, including the first reveal of the new Batmobile. Charlie's going to take us through a review of Pixar's Onward, the new movie starring Chris Pratt and Tom Holland of Marvel fame. Plus, we have a big new video game TV show coming to HBO that we need to talk about plus Star Wars keeps messing up and X-Men has a new event coming our way so we are going to get into all of that today on comic Book nation So stay tuned, because we're about to hop into our newsflash segment. The first thing we're going to talk about today is the Batman. Uh, We've been kind of keeping track of what's happening as the Batman has gone into production. There was a big shoot over in the UK. Uh, Matt Reeves kind of really kicked off the hype machine by revealing the first kind of video teaser, which revealed, or at least, I mean, living up to its name, it actually teased what Robert Pattinson's new Batman costume would look like. Um, but it left out a lot of the details. Only We mostly just got, like, the bottom half of the cowl and the top half of the chest. But then we got those set photos that we talked about where we got to see a stunt performer on a motorcycle in the full Batman costume. But, of course, the caveat to that was that the costume for a stunt performer is just a replica. It's not the full official costume that the actual lead actor will wear, especially in an action sequence like a motorcycle sequence. And so... We still really, even though, you know, that comicbook.com was saying first look at the Batman suit, it wasn't the first official look. But this week, director Matt Reeves, director of the Batman, dropped a new set of teaser images, which were kind of continuing the same moody and atmospheric vein as the teaser video for the costume. And they showed Robert Pattinson in his full Batman costume standing next to the new Batmobile, which, of course, again... If you're watching us on video, you can see it right over my shoulder. If you are kind of listening to this, make sure you go to comicbook.com DC if you were living under a rock, and make sure you know what the new Batmobile looks like. So, of course, we got to talk about this new Batmobile, what it is, how it fits into the larger aesthetic we've seen from the Batman, and, of course, now that we've gotten a much more official and detailed look at the costume, We can talk about that as well. Um, I'll just kick it off by saying the Batmobile is very much, uh, I wrote an article about, it's in the vein of the 1980s Batman comic book Batmobile, which was also kind of a sports car that was like loosely (laughs) modded modded to just have like bat fins and things like that. Um, It was the car that Jason Todd, of course, stole the wheels off of when Batman discovered him and started that whole origin story. And if you look at a chart for the Batmobiles, it was pretty much the Batmobile design for pretty much all of the 80s, except for Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns tank, and then eventually the Batmobile from Batman 89, which changed the entire concept of the Batmobile thereafter for a long time. So there's nice comic connections to this Batmobile, um, but in the context of the Batman movie Matt Reeves is kind of going to make, I don't hate this because, again, this is a slightly different take that we've been told that this version of Bruce Wayne Batman, this isn't with like a, you know, hyper tech expert Alfred or Lucius Fox sitting around. This is Batman and Bruce Wayne kind of creating his own Batman persona in in year two of this. And so this looks like a car that a billionaire who's trying to keep a secret would take into a cave and mod to be his kind of superhero car. It looks like a sports car or an American muscle car. That has a flux capacitor and one of those Fast and Furious like rocket engines attached to it. Yeah. Um, it's dark. It's foreboding. And, and I think it looks like, like I said, it's rooted in the comics. There's nothing for me personally to hate. I know people will have other opinions. But I also think that there's room, plenty of room for it to get upgrades later and to become something more of a kind of elite tech Batmobile than, you know, as this career goes on. So, so far, I'm not hating it. Um, The same thing with the costume. I wrote in the article breaking down these costume photos that, ironically, a lot of the stuff I thought people complained about, like... The ears or something like the the shots in these different shots Reese posted gives us kind of a a back, middle, front, a whole kind of 360 look at the costume. Yeah. And I actually found a lot of the details that I I was not sure about I liked. I liked the ears when I saw them from the back and how they fit into the cowl. There's a rear shot of them and they look cool. Um, I liked the high collar cape because it doesn't look too distracting from the front when you look at him. It it is very much kind of in the Batman Noel kind of design with a kind of high collared back. And like, it didn't look so bad. I mean, it looks bad from the back, the cape, but it doesn't look bad from the front. <laughs> the ears look maybe bad from the front, but then they look better once you see them from the back. Yeah. And the whole costume kind of works that way. And it's very much like a Batman, uh, Earth One, year or rebirth kind of feel to this costume, somewhere in between the two. And I'm not hating it. I liked it. And man, Pattinson, that chin, like, this is why you could go with chin. the open chin. Like, yeah. It's a good chin. And the high collar actually works better when you see it kind of in conjunction with the open chin design. So, I'm not hating, but I'm sure as always, I never know what the grenades are here, so I'm sure you guys have your own opinions about both of these things.
0: Charlie. No, you you go ahead. Uh go ahead. no, I mean, I'm in the same uh I'm in the same camp. I I don't hate this car. I don't love the car, um but it, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense with a more grounded approach. I was never one that loved the Christopher Nolan style of let's re- like let's make everything as realistic as we can and ground it more towards military. I like my Batman with a little pizzazz. I like it with, I'm not saying you have to go full Schumacher, but I like it with a little, like the Justice League Batmobile, like Ben Affleck's Batmobile is cool. It's stylish. It has too many guns, but it's still kind of cool. So this, I'm a little torn because like the back half looks dope. The red lights and the sick engine, and you can see where, like, it's going to propel itself and all that. That looks awesome. The front feels like I could drive down the street and go find that at a dealership. So, like, that is not so much. Uh, uh, but, not, I mean, that's you know, not a point. A little I, bit, I, like- I get it. I didn't say it was wrong. I didn't say it was, like, you know, it's not going to be good, too. And I imagine, like Hofi said, it will get some upgrades as the movie goes on, and we'll see him meet some people and get some of that technology or whatever. But as far as just if you are grading Batmobiles— this is going to be towards the bottom of my list because I get that it's with the theme of the movie it doesn't mean I have to like it and it's like meh. it it feel, very much feels like a fast and furious car which, which is, I, fun. I think
2: and I think for those for that reason is why I like it a lot you know yeah. I, in what we've seen from this batman so far he is very resourceful this is this Bruce Wayne I guess yeah. is very resourceful you know the parts of his suit are made from the gun that killed his parents and that plays into it you know now he's got this car that it's a regular car you can go buy, and he's like, "Well, I need it to do more things, so I'm going to add more things to it." Yeah. There was no sense in you know adding all these extra, make it look all this stuff. Like he's not out there to look cool. He's like, "I'm I have to get some stuff done." Like there there are things. But he dresses accomplish. up as a bat. So like uh, th- I feel like that
0: automatically loses validity when a dude well, has but a cow with bat ears. I mean, like <laughs> it's, it's <armored. laughs> like
2: you look at the thing, it's armored.
0: Yeah, no. but he took it's, extra it's measures it's, to make it look like a bat, and he made a bat symbol. Like at that point, you have to kind of suspend the. Well, he's well, trying to be realistic, not make a point. Yeah, he is. So why well, not? But then that's the, that what the does that car. Do the car. Well, yeah, because he doesn't have to, to doesn't the have the spend all but the I mean, extra money to add yeah, and
2: like, like all these sleek designs you don't to the cars.
0: like
1: this: Batman in the comics drove a sports car that had loose bat fins on it. That's a thing. Yeah.
2: So. It's a thing now. It's a thing in the movies. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. All I'd say, I I, I really like it. I like the direction this is going in, and um, it does kind of look like a Fast and Furious car. To be
1: honest, honest, I just stopped the whole I really like it, I really don't like it stuff because who knows how this is going to play when we see the first. All of these teasers have been very kind of cool and atmospheric, like I've said, and so it all really depends on how these fit into Matt Reeves. Like the teaser video was all right. It was good. It didn't show us everything. The set videos made us concerned because it looked goofy as hell. Now, when he's kind of in the driver's seat and he has more control over the tone and stuff, it le- it looks less goofy. So I want to see, like, if this Batmobile is tearing up the streets and doing Fast and the Furious stunts, like, that's going to be cool. Yeah. Like, and I don't think I'll, I'll care what the body looks like at that point. So, I mean, it's always good to just temper these things, especially DC Comics.
0: I mean, it's you know, Yeah, I don't. I still don't um, love the costume either.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that's it. And, and you know what? You got to feel how you feel. But I'm excited to see more, and I'm kind of s- excited to see what this all feels like when we get Reeves' full vision of it. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm interested to say the least. All right, so we're going to move on from the Batman. Be sure to go on comicbook.com DC and check out all of those photos that we have in uh, both galleries of the Batmobile of the new costume close-ups because, uh, yeah, we would love to know your opinion. We're going to hop from DC over to Marvel because we got some new set photos of the Loki series starring Tom Hiddleston which is going to be coming to Disney Plus next year. And uh, this is increasingly like WandaVision. This is one that seemed pretty straightforward and simple, arguably uninteresting beyond just having Tom Hiddleston back as Loki. But as we begin to learn more and more about the series and see kind of set photos that reveal how this series is going to be tied into the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's certainly getting more interesting by the minute. The Disney Plus kind of trailer reveal for these Marvel Disney Plus series kind of revealed indirectly that Loki will be kind of framed as Tom Hiddleston's Loki being arrested and, and kind of interrogated by the Time Variance Authority, which are the basically the keepers of time in the Marvel Universe. They're an agency dedicated to that. If you watch Legends of Tomorrow, you know the same concept on the DC side. Um, so these set photos we got this week showed kind of a very well-suited-up Tom Hiddleston Loki back in his classy suit, being arrested by the Time Variance Authority. They gave us details like who Os- Owen Wilson's character will be. Uh, we broke the scoop. Brandon Davis did that he was going to be appearing in Loki. And at the time, we speculated, you know, as much as we, some people wanted to see him play Kang or something, we speculated it would be kind of funnier to have Owen Wilson be a Time Variance Authority agent who's trying to interview Loki um, and playing off and riffing with Tom Hiddleston. And it sounds like, from the set photos, it seems like that's exactly what we're going to get, is he's going to be some kind of agent in the Time Variance Authority. And I would imagine him just kind of sitting down and having these... Crazy kind of dialogue scenes with Hiddleston will be pretty fun. Uh, We also got a look at a female character whose costuming makes the suggestion that we are going to get possibly female Loki or the Enchantress. We're leaving the door open to both, I think, right now in it. Um, Although we didn't, I didn't recognize the actress. Like, did anybody, I don't know if anybody did any more digging, but it didn't seem like it was a major actress or star. So I'm kind of like, I don't know.
0: Oh, for Enchantress, you mean? I mean, she's – the girl who would be enchantress is uh, Judith from Walking Dead. That's the person that they've seen attached to the show. Um, but we have no official, like, from Marvel. That was literally, like, an IMDb Pro. Someone updated the database and, and linked Judith uh, to the show. And I forget her real name, <laughs> so I know it's Judith. Uh, but uh, it would be interesting. I mean, if that if that element, both elements are interesting in their own way. Because that Lady Loki storyline is fantastic from... Uh, that Thor storyline where all the gods kind of came back to Earth and uh were indifferent people and Loki ended up screwing over Sif and that's how she gets, that's how Loki gets that body. Though Loki's been a shapeshifter for like a long time and even post that event, now it kind of goes back and forth. Uh, So that event could be here. As far as Enchantress, Loki gives Enchantress those abilities, and it's kind of like not a mentor thing, but it's this weird dysfunctional relationship. So both are really interesting if they turn out to be the case. It could be all of it, right? I mean, it could just be this weird mashup of all of that.
1: Yeah, and it is so. an actress, so it, it is possible. I, I'm going to revise that. Um, yeah, this could be a major Marvel character like Enchantress. Uh, the actress playing her is Sophia de Martino, who was a star of Into the, Bad, Into the Badlands. So, yeah, I mean, they actually did cast a legit, like, you know, a known actress in this, so we'll find out more, but the Loki series seems to be increasingly more and more interesting, like it could kick off a lot of the larger kind of cosmic, multidimensional subplots of Phase 4, and I'm kind of getting more and more psyched to see what this is all about, alongside WandaVision and Doctor Strange too. How about you, Charlie? What
2: do you think? Loki? Um, It's been one... I like Loki, I like Tom Hiddleston, so I've been slightly interested in this, but... Nothing I've seen so far has gotten me like the levels of excited. I think that other people are uh, for it. I I think that the the photos, I mean, they prove that Owen Wilson is in fact in it, which is awesome. And I'm really glad to know that. Um, I love Owen Wilson. I'm excited to see him in this. But it's hard to kind of gauge any sort of excitement for this until I see something. But I do think that Loki provides what no other project in the MCU does. And that's the ability to play with these timelines. I mean... Doctor Strange can do that, and you talk about the multiverse and stuff, but I mean, Loki is a true variant from the timeline, and so this is the opportunity to do whatever they want to the overall MCU storyline and, and keep it in continuity, so I'm really excited to see the things that this Loki series does. I'm just not sold yet on how they're going to do that.
1: All right, there you have it. If you guys want to check out more and see the photos for yourself and pitch us your best theories about what's going on here, go on comicbook.com Marvel and look up the Loki uh, show under our TV section under Marvel and, uh, yeah, see what all has been happening. Moving on from Marvel to video games. So we had something else to talk about, but we had to cut it because uh, just before we came in today and planned the show, we got news that The Last of Us live action project is not dead. We've all been waiting on that movie to come out. It ain't coming out, but it's been saved by HBO, which has scooped it up and is going to now be putting a Last of Us TV series into the works. So, as I heard when I heard this, my reaction was immediate and uh, very concise. HBO is coming to finish off that Walking Dead and make <laughs> its own zombie series. So, here we go, War of the Zombies. Um, but yeah. Uh, I'm not as high on Last of Us as some of the other people in the office. I've been trying to play the game for all of the years I've owned a PlayStation 4 when I got it as part of the bundle, but I, I find it kind of tedious. I, I don't like The Last of Us that much, so that's just me. I know Brandon Davis thinks it's the greatest- Boy, somewhere, he's ever, shouting. yeah. Ever told, but <laughs> and, and, and he's not alone. Like a lot of people, this was yeah. a landmark game. It, it really affected people. I'm happy that the show is happening. Um, if anything, I hope that the show comes out and gets me into the game so I can actually get through it because I do want to finish it and play the upcoming sequel game and do all that. But I need some motivation and it sounds like this could be it. And after seeing what HBO did with Watchmen, um, them kind of getting into kind of pop geek culture I have a lot more faith in, in what can be done with this property. So, well,
2: and, and I mean, this is Craig Mason's doing the show and he just did Chernobyl for HBO, which was a huge award-winning hit. It was a fantastic show, a really well-written show. Um, and I mean, deals with a realistic apocalyptic scenario and, you know, this is obviously fictional apocalypse, yeah. but I think there's a lot of tonal similarities that you can find between the two, uh, and just in terms of how they're going to approach that story and how they're going to kind of lay the groundwork for this world. um, and so, I mean, that more than anything like is reason to get excited. Yeah, they did great with, with Watchmen um, and they're doing great with, you know, Westworld and, and Game of Thrones. But now they have like someone who actually did that kind of quality running this show personally. And so it's it's really it's really exciting to think about how they're going to put that together and the creative team they're going to pull together. Well,
1: I mean, this might be a hot take, but I, while I enjoyed Trem- Chernobyl like pretty immensely, I also thought Chernobyl was like –
2: intensely front loaded like it
1: was really great in that first meltdown episode and then all the procedural stuff afterwards was good but kind of dry so i hope last of us can kind of maintain a better sense of pacing and like Mm. do all that because yeah um i wasn't as enamored with chernobyl as everybody else was with russian speaking with english accents and stuff like that but anyway that's neither here nor there um like i said i think i'm kind of like I have the feeling about this that you have about the Batman photos. It's like, it's a thing. I'm okay with it. But you know, until something, I see something that gets me really hyped. I'm just like, meh. uh, Matt, what do you think? Last of us TV
0: series. I think this is the best thing that could have happened to it. I think this franchise lends itself way more to a series than a movie. I agree. Um, So, and it's just because the series is really good. I mean, Naughty Dog is very good at tension uh, in these games. I mean, you you spend way more time running from things in these games than you do actually shooting and you're throwing bottles and the way the creatures and the fungus actually like perpetrate the world and like they're moving in those weird little squawks they make. Like all those little things are way better, are way suited to a show where you can pace that out instead of these, you know, trying to shoehorn that whole thing. I mean, that opening sequence alone, I cannot wait to see HBO do something with that, because that opening, like, 20 minutes of the game is fantastic. Um, and I would love to see them get to some of the stuff we get in, like, the DLC and things like that. So, uh, I'm I'm pumped for it. I, I, was, I was not pumped for the movie. I could have really cared less about the movie, because I didn't have faith that they were going to do it right. And it's been um, in the works
2: for so it's, long. But yeah,
0: it's one of those, right? I mean, it's the same thing with, like, Halo. I have very little faith in like the Halo stuff until I see it and prove it because it's been a development. And that's gonna so. be a show too. Yeah, exactly. I think this is a perfect thing. I, I have faith in HBO until they kind of prove it wrong, until they go awry. Uh so yeah,
2: I'm pumped for this. This is good. Do you do you have someone you would think w- would play the characters really well?
0: I actually saw so I saw BD's tweet of his picks, and I do actually think um, is it Caitlin Denver? Caitlin Denver. Yeah. Uh I think she's a perfect Pick for that. I didn't see any of his picks for Joel, uh. But I
2: was like, oh, once I saw that name, I was like, oh, that's that's
0: a great I mean, Hugh pick.
2: Jackman's always been like the everyone thinks Hugh Jackman oh, I know. Be Joel. Yeah, Someone, not- um, uh, Nikolaj uh, Coster Waldau from Game of Thrones, the guy yeah. for Jamie. Um, I think, I mean, John Krasinski would be really good. I mean, it was it's very similar to a Quiet Place, in yeah. what he did there, but that protector role that he yeah. played, I think would work really, really well for this show. I mean, maybe he's not quite as, like, grungy and scruffy. I think he's a little too scruffy.
0: charming for Joel.
2: <laughs> I, 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 think, <laughs> I think he could tone that down even more. I, uh, I, I, think, think, he, yeah. I think he could be really, really good, yeah. really good for Joel. Because Joel's not that charming. but No. Yes. Uh, but, no, I like that. But, yeah, that
0: that would be my pick. Carl Urban. Carl Urban would be, a, be a good name. thing. I'll put it. <laughs> that yeah, dude can do Somebody anything.
1: reliable, not too expensive, Carl Urban. Yeah. All right, so that's going to be The Last of Us. You can go and check that out on comicbook.com gaming. Stay tuned, because when we get back for our Deep Dive segment, we are going to jump into several different lanes of geekdom, and you don't want to miss any one of them, so be sure to come back with us after the break. All right, so moving on from the world of gaming to the world of Star Wars, so... Last show we were talking about the Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker novelization coming out and kind of some new chatter about the film because what the novel kind of lays out is almost like this, it's increasingly becoming like this very strange retcon of the movie and what it showed and it's literally them, like it feels like Lucasfilm is filling in blanks and, and revising a story that was kind of, had holes poked in it. So basically, here's what we learned just to catch you all up. Some of the big reveals of the novel, we're gonna leave the Raylo stuff alone about Raylo, Ben, and Ray's relationship. We're gonna focus on the Palpatine stuff. So it was revealed that in the novelization is made very clear that how Palpatine kind of survived, and it's a very it's becoming an increasingly controversial explanation. Basically, the or- what we got in the origin story in Rise of Skywalker apparently isn't true. Like that story is that Palpatine at some point fathered a son. The son married, had a daughter. Uh Palpatine was trying to track down the daughter. Uh, and the parents sacrificed themselves to hide her on Jakku and not let him get her. That raised the question, the obvious question in the Star Wars fandom was, like, wait, Palpatine Fs? Like, what? Like, when? How? What? And so people have been freaking out about that. So the novelization just decides to do away with the whole concept of Palpatine effing and just saying that Ray's true, quote-unquote, dad was not, like, just Palpatine's son. It was a failed clone of Palpatine. Um, <laughs> which kind of then goes into this whole oh, bigger explanation that Palpatine for years had uh, used his kind of ties to Camino and the cloning process to create clone bodies of himself, which is hinted at we know because he had yeah. all those Snoke bodies, um, but we never knew like what the mechanics of how he was getting into those bodies, out of those bodies, how he was in this other form we saw him in on Exegol. And so the book kind of lays out that he had clone bodies, but he could never perfect a clone body of himself that would last long Uh, But he had the Snoke bodies, and one thing he had learned from Darth Plagueis, his master, that had allowed him to survive the fall on the Death Star was how to project his consciousness into a different body, basically. That was one form of immortality he had learned. And so when he was falling through the Death Star, he did a kind of X-Men-style mind transfer into one of these clone bodies. He could then use them to hop into the Snoke bodies and all that, but the clone bodies would always keep failing uh, eventually. Um, Because they never perfected how to do it. So that's why he's all messed up on the planet. So this has just kind of sent fans into an uproar now because they don't know what the hell is going on with this story. And they don't know if they even really like it anymore because it just seems like a real big mess of like – It seems like it's
2: getting worse. Yeah, it is yeah. getting
1: worse by the second. Like it is just getting – it's unraveling really fast. Like you brought this major character back. And you had up this whole origin story. Now it doesn't even, like, cra- crazy make sense, like, how Ray is tied to him and all there that There were a stuff. lot of
2: things I didn't like about that movie and that didn't make sense about that movie. Palpatine coming back is one of the few things I think a lot of us just accepted and yeah. didn't, like, there were things about his return, about his role that didn't make a lot of sense. You're like, oh, well, I mean, people in Star Wars find a way to survive. Yeah. Okay, I believe he's back. Oh, he apparently, like, fathered a child. Weird, don't know when that happened or how, but okay, I can believe that. Like, These were not questions that I wanted or needed answered. No. And now we're getting crazy explanations.
1: Which brings me to an article I just finished writing before we came in here, which is like, at this point, I feel like Star Wars needs an entire Palpatine movie or, like, limited series on Disney Plus because this character has now become, like, this fulcrum point of a lot of problems in the franchise and a series about him could actually solve a lot of problems because what we got now is, just to lay this all out, we got the High Republic coming, right? That's 200 years before the Skywalker saga. Somewhere in the High Republic storytelling, we have to know how the Sith survived and set up Darth Sidious to become Darth, you know, Emperor Palpatine in the Galactic Empire. Which means there's a good chance you have to do something with Darth Plagueis in that era of him finding Palpatine, training Palpatine, learning together. This whole like let's conquer death thing. So you need that part of the story. You need to know what Palpatine was doing during the prequels to kind of get his backup plan with these clone bodies, Exegol, all this stuff in place. You kind of need to know that somewhere between, like, the prequels when he started the clone army and the original trilogy when he was managing the Empire and it all fell apart. And you need to kind of know what happened after that, like, actually see him escape the Death Star, get set up, and, and be able to establish this new kind of Sith order on Exegol. Those are all things you need. It's kind of like the Better Call Saul of Star Wars. It needs to be this kind See, of I'd, weird. But doesn't prequel? that make it? I
0: disagree. In the wrong hands. In the right hands, yes, that could be a very Hickman, like, hey, I have the ability to, like, rework a bunch of threads that no one bothered to finish. In the wrong hands, which is more likely because it's complicated,
2: that makes it ten times worse, right? It becomes lost. and Because unlike comics, like, with, <laughs> and, I, I I agree with you. Like, with, with the comics, you could, like, X-Men reset continuity with, with Hickman. Did. Yeah. You can't do that with Star Wars. You can't.
0: People have come in, though, and filled in blanks and explained a lot of stuff and just Agreed. enough to peel the, like, put Agreed. the plaster on the thing and then move on and it's clean. That could be done and it would make everything else better. I, I but, think it,
2: sorry, I think it could be. Yeah. But that's what they're trying to do right now and it's not working at all. Yeah, I don't know what like, this is, though. I think the best thing <laughs> for everyone involved now is, like, we did what we did. Let's let's walk away. Like, it's we're not going to make it any better. We're only making it worse. We're done with Palpatine. I mean, look what happened. I mean, obviously, Palpatine is a much more important character to the overall story of Star Wars than someone like Jar Jar Binks. But look at what happened after the uproar of Episode One. We're like, this is the worst character. Why did you do this? Look at how quickly he got ignored in everything that came after that. Again, Palpatine's much more crucial, but it's easy for them to say, okay, fine, we did this. You know, we're going to focus on other things now. This is over. Like, let's. But that's again, like,
1: I I think you'd be right if. If Palpatine was done and this was all going away. Yeah. But again, what they've already committed to doing is exploring the High Republic, which is a storyline that has to tie directly back. And most of the intrigue will be seeing these things we know happen that are already establishing continuity with these characters kind of take shape and develop to lead to the Skywalker saga. So they haven't even completely jettisoned this character and finished this story. True. It's still active and alive in in the franchise they're playing. If they had gone back to the old Republic, like after this thousands of years, then we could be done with this conversation. But now, like all of this has to make sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the fact that he learns how to project his consciousness and is able to escape the Death Star. The fact that he learns about cloning and is able to make these bodies and do all that. This is all stuff that's already boiled into the franchise and is going to come up again in the High Republic era. I almost guarantee it. So like yeah, at some point you gotta pull
2: this. I mean, I, I think I think if the if it appears in the higher Republic era, I agree with you. Like we need more explanation. I could see them not touching it. They can set up where it's going to go, and you can be like, oh, that leads to there. You know, stuff with Plagueis and like. But I think. There's a chance they just they just walk away and just And I was wrong, there's because there's a wrong smart creators. I Republic, Republic was said.
1: gonna be four hundred years, but two hundred years means like there's still plenty of room for a guy who learns to cheat death to yeah. be around. So 100%. Yeah. and there's not even like a very strict timeline on how long these people lived. And knowing how long Palpatine lived, like Yeah, so, I mean, we're not done, but yeah, it is getting worse by the minute. They're making a mess of a movie retroactively, and that's a hard thing to
2: do. And it's disappointing, because this is what everyone's now talking about when, like, I mean, Mandalorian has another season coming up, and it's great. Clone Wars is going on right now, and Clone Wars is still great, like... The new Star Wars comic is really good. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of great Star Wars stuff <laughs> happening right now. This. And everyone's talking about the garbage around Palpatine. Yeah. It's really disappointing.
1: Well, I mean, it's rare that you have a major villain of a franchise get, like, so muddled and screwed up in this way. Yeah. Like, outside of the main showcase of a movie. like Yeah, but like, like, I'm not, I'm not
2: blaming it, people yeah. for talking about it. Like, of course we're talking about it. Yeah. It, it's frustrating that. They've that's what we are talking about because there is so much great stuff going. Yeah. On. Well, I got that sick.
1: That's that fix. Palpatine Disney Plus series. All right, moving over from Star Wars to comics, we got a couple things to talk about. Matt broke down the uh, comics of the week this week, but there were kind of two things that uh, we didn't touch on that we should probably talk about. Uh, first, continuing with our Batman run, we talked a lot about um, Tom King's run on Batman City of Bane. City of Bane, mm-hmm. yes, not Taylor Tom King, yes, uh, his City of Bane run. And uh, taking over for him was James Tinian. For I'm just gonna call him you James Tinian. I'm sorry, but uh, he's been doing this storyline there, Dark Designs, and we've been kind of ragging on it. Like we we really have. It, it's been kind of a letdown since City of Bane, which was uh, so excellent. And so we've been kind of trying to find footing with what Tinian's bringing to the series. And this week, with the release of Batman 90, we finally got something to kind of get a foothold into. Uh, their Dark Designs, Chapter 5, which basically introduces this new Batman villain called the Designer, and gives us a nice, succinct little origin story for the character, and kind of gives us a sketch of who he is, what makes him important to both Batman's history and the present day, and what his quote-unquote power set is. And this was the first time I think Tinian's run's gotten interesting for me and for other people, which is we find out that the Designer was this, he's basically like the criminal version of Batman. Yeah. He's like the world's greatest anti-detective. So like if there's a world's greatest detective, the guy who outwits that guy is this guy. Um and he was a master criminal who had a detective foe and to beat his kind of Sherlock Holmes enemy like uh, Moriarty, he decided the only way he could do that was to evolve as a criminal that it's a process. Cop, Ca- you know, a crook and or a co- or like a detective and his nemesis are like a process. Like The detective gets – the crook does something, try to be smarter. The detective has to get a little smarter to catch him, and it evolves in this kind of step-by-step process of cat and mouse that never ends like Batman and the Joker. So what the designer decided was to kind of beat his detective foe, he needed to evolve these steps exponentially exponentially. So if he was at step five in his little dance with his detective, he needed to be at step 100 the next time they were faced in his criminal evolution so that he could just come up with something that would completely smash and just, like, crush his opponent. And he does that. And that's basically his superpowers, his ability – to take the criminal mind through scenarios, almost like mental training of their schemes, to refine and refine and refine and refine their criminal plots and schemes until they get to a level of, like, the perfect crime. And he got four key Batman rogues early on in Batman's career, Catwoman, Joker, Penguin, Riddler. He brought him to this weird... There's this whole supernatural thing with this character that's not explained yet. He can, like, animate the dead. He has a dead house that he's, like, rolling around in. (laughs) Um, Tartarus House, named after Tartarus, of course, the Greek... Anyway... But he took all four of them and sat them down for these private counseling sessions where he helped them come up with their perfect crimes. But when he got to Joker, <laughs> what he saw in helping the Joker evolve was the actual kind of and it's a nice metaphor for how Joker has evolved in the books from early on when he was just a slapstick character. Yeah. To becoming this horrible psycho to the symbol of, you know, chaos and everything we see now in like the Joker movie. And so that freaked designer out, and he kind of tried to kill these four rogues. They turned on him. They fought their way out. Joker killed him or thought he killed him, and they left. And so Catwoman recounts this to Batman, basically telling him, like, there are all these perfect plans against Gotham or for your criminal foes that they have, and Joker's is, like, the worst of the worst. And that's kind of setting up this Joker War arc that's coming because – and I was telling Matt – it now has me more interested in Joker War because to give you a taste of what these are – Catwoman, at the end of the issue, the big cliffhanger is he she reveals that what her perfect plan was when talking to designer was not to do petty theft, but to commit like one of the biggest thefts in history. And it was to take the entire Wayne family fortune and assets away from Bruce Wayne and put them in the hands of Selena Kyle. That was his master scheme with her. And so then now that this guy's back from the dead, Batman's like freaking out because apparently that plan is gonna still be enacted with or without Catwoman, regardless. So Bruce Wayne's about to it's maybe have all this money.
2: Through, you know, she's gonna have a baby from him and then she's gonna get the baby to take the assets from the father and give you know. Hey, maybe. <laughs> hey, people got, have made babies it, long, for, long con. People have made babies <laughs> very, very long people con people have
1: made babies for much stupider reasons. So that's a good one. But um, yeah, so this kind of set up an interesting new Batman villain. Uh, I don't know what the supernatural stuff is. I don't even think it's needed. I like the master criminal angle, but that's neither here nor there. But it set up an interesting story, not just in this dark designs thing, but like I said, the Joker War, which just sounded like a uh, like an all out just kind of mindless event, now seems to have a bigger purpose behind it. And the reveal that Catwoman's thing was like taking Bruce Wayne's money is it shows there's some kind of cleverness with like what they're playing with these concepts. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see. The Joker War, yes, but how each of these plans, like, carries out. Like, what was Penguin's plan? Like, and you would imagine, and I imagine, like, Penguin's was something that has to do with not not just being a criminal, but maybe a businessman, a politician, who knows?
0: Yeah, he uh, talks about it a little bit.
1: Yeah, he kind of alludes to that, and Riddler's kind of, like, the same way. Yeah. Like, so I'm kind of interested to see this, and they've actually gotten a hook in me to actually want to continue this run and see where this all goes, so... I was kind of impressed with Batman 90.
0: Agreed. I I feel the same way. This is the first issue that has really grabbed me, and I feel like, if this is going to if this run is going to keep developing, it's important for us to we have this in designer. We now need it with Punchline, which is the other big creation that he's made and has gotten a lot of publicity, but doesn't have a lot of substance yet. We don't really know anything about her. We don't know any history. And the same thing was made of designer. Hey, here's this new character. Okay, well, we see that in comics all the time. We need some substance, you know, there, right? Uh this is this was promising. I love the fact that he essentially sat in a room for a year and thought like a character like a detective and went okay well i would bust after he would think out the plan he would then say well here's how i would bust myself and he would like solve his own crime and was like well no then that's not gonna work so then he would jump ahead and like he just kept doing this for like a year that's like that's really interesting um And I yeah, I agree with you. I think it takes us to there's a place where Catwoman talks about like the look on Joker's face after the meeting, and it's like at that point, like I saw like a a switch flip and his eyes were different and he he now saw all the potential that he had. And you know, because at that point he wasn't doing poisoned poisoning the reservoir and like killing a bunch of people, wasn't doing like balloons full of like (laughs) gas and he wasn't doing that stuff. And now we've seen that progression. So it's it's really interesting. I would like to see his Batman uh, come in just a little like King's Batman had a very like uh, compassionate side and a, and a warm side. There was a good mix of that sternness and bluntness that we see with Bruce all the time and a compassionate side. And his doesn't quite have that yet, uh, especially when he's dealing with Selena. So I I do want to see that more. Um, especially because we're gonna have King's Batman Catwoman series to compare it directly to at some point this year. So I would like to see that. But overall, it it finally has its hooks. I'm excited.
1: All right. So that was Batman. Uh, we didn't we kind of let this one slip through the cracks because I didn't know this was a thing, but apparently I was writing something today and it's a thing. So we've been kind of assessing, uh we did a long breakdown of Marvel's X-Men reboot, Dawn of X, and the whole House of X event series. Uh, And we've done some reviews on the show, but they kind of dropped off lately because the books have kind of dropped off lately, largely, and there hasn't been anything. And I was just writing a piece saying, like, while there are a lot of interesting ideas House of X established and Dawn of X has kind of taken further, there isn't, like, a whole lot of overarching purpose to this. It just feels like a lot of meandering. The books feel inconsistent and disconnected, even though they're in the same kind of world around the same event and so I've been just kind of wondering when is this all going to piece together and we're going to get something more meaningful because House of X was built on moment-to-moment meaningful action and events. and setting up things that we were kind of so excited about at the time could be major arcs in X-Men books for years to come just with the different timelines of Moira X – and all of those things becoming real or not real or changing and shifting. What we've gotten is more of a just a day in the life of Krakoa and world building here is how the world reorders around Krakoa kind of exploration. <coughs> and we've had some quirky new villains, some scary new villains, things like that, but nothing really big. But at C2E2 C2 C two in Chicago, it was revealed that we are getting our first big Dawn of X crossover that's coming up soon. Or I forget when it is. Is it later this year? August? Yeah, this Something year. like that. Uh, And it's going to be called Swords of X or another one of the Swords of Ten crap um, (laughs) that they're going to be trying. So that's coming up. And we don't know anything too much about it except that there is going to be – and when powerful forces from the unknown threaten the new world of the X-Men. And it's going to bring every book in the Dawn of X line together. Uh, There's this intro kind of promo graphic for it. And while I'm kind of happy to see the first Dawn of X big event happen – I'm not real confident in this one yet because, like I said to Jim jokingly, and after looking at the infographic, I'm like, this is called Ten of Swords, and it's a picture of all the X-Men, like a bunch of Dawn of X characters, and they're all holding swords of different forms.
0: That seems so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so I was not, I'm still not to the level of, like, confidence that I was of House and Powers or anything like that. However, what I what I will say is my opinion has has improved a bit after reading Hickman's kind of take on this. So essentially, he admits even in an interview that, you know, they're still playing around with the Dawn of X. Like this world, they're still kind of just like trying stuff. And and this is kind of an a crossover. They don't want it really to be an an event because they're trying to make it like an old school crossover where like the X-books used to crossover all the time and have little mini events. And they haven't really done that to them in a while. It's it's been like always tied to something greater in the Marvel Universe, some big giant thing. So this is more harking back to that. It's a fifteen parter, which is nuts. Yeah. But we used to get a lot of long stuff in the in the day, like yeah. back in the day with X Men. That's so- what I grew up with. Executioner yeah. song, exactly. Operation Zero tolerance. And like I have a lot of good slide. memories of those. Like some of those. Like not all of them were great, but. I still have fond memories of it. So this is something in that in that vein. Um what he said was t- there will be 10 swords that be that are the focus. There are other swords and things like that. I don't know how the sword thing fits in. I honestly think someone at Marvel was like, look, we have a bunch of characters that have swords. <laughs> We want a reason like Nightcrawler. Everyone loves Nightcrawler's sword. He never gets to use it. I think honestly it was a bunch of people just like, let's let's just find an event for that. There are some really important swords on this cover. Um, you know, one of the biggest uh ones is the one that Wolverine uh is holding, which is the um, Muramasa sword, uh, which is actually like got a piece of a soul in it, <laughs> part of it. Uh we also have uh there's like swords that I'm interested to see this because if you look at some of the the old school swords in here, uh, like the Phoenix Force sword, uh, the one that just got created, the Cerebro sword that was from the pieces of Xavier's helmet. Uh, there's some also some older other swords. Uh, the Gorgon uh, has a sword. Uh, we don't know which one it is. He actually had two ancient swords at one point, and Hickman is the one that kind of took those away from him, buried him somewhere. So like we imagine those will come back. So there's some interesting things that if all brought together with someone like Hickman running it, it could be interesting. I, I won't write it off yet because after seeing what he did with house and powers, I can't like just not like, I can't just go like, it's going to be crap.
1: Well, here's why I am writing it off already. There's too much Excalibur in this image.
2: There is way way too too much Excalibur.
1: Excalibur in this image. And it's written by one of the writers. It's co-written by the writer of Excalibur. Yeah,
2: Teeny
0: Howard is writing, is co-writing. Now she also writes Strike Force, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> but Excalibur has not been my favorite. And this unknown force kind of freaks me
1: out because it feels like the storyline could be more Excalibur than House of X. That's true. Um, if this is something from the mystical world, the demon realm, all stuff that was established in House of X. Yeah. Um Apocalypse has got his demon killing sword in that picture, his scimitar thing. Yeah. So, like, yeah, and that was a big door that was open, literally and figuratively, in House of X, and then in some of the very first Dawn of X issues, this kind of portal island, the partner to Krakoa that it Mm. merged with again and had island sex with, um, and opened a door to the demon realm, like... (laughs) That's all going on, and if it's a big mystical thing that's <laughs> built off of Excalibur, it, it will feel more like a cry for help for those books to put focus back on those books than anything in the larger House of X lines. So yeah. I'm wondering which way they're going with this because they've already Got said, it. but there will be other crossovers like after this.
0: Well, he uh, said there's another one coming in December, December. so like, yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> so okay. This is like a mini
1: crossover, and I'm like, are you just trying to save like Excalibur and Fallen X and
0: the, uh, do like, Shields like of that? Ten? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but all right, we'll be keeping an eye on. Um, uh, swords of X or Swords of Ten and the whole Dawn of X line, so be sure to stick with us with that. To close out the show today, Mr. Turnup Charlie is going to live up to his name and turn up for the new Pixar movie Up. Charlie, it's your time. Give us your uh, latest review and tell us about anything that came out of a dragon's butt in this movie.
2: Nothing came out of a dragon, Actually... Yeah, nothing about a dragon's butt in this movie. I had to think because there, there is a had little. Had to think about it. There is a dragon because their their um their uh they're, like their dog is a dragon. It's like a little pet dragon. So I had to think like was there a joke with the dragon and a butt? There wasn't. So nothing out of a dragon's butt in this movie. Um, this movie is actually really very good. Uh, I think. Um, onward is uh, is about two elfish brothers that live in a world that's uh it's a fantasy world. It's you got dragons and it used to have magic a long long time ago, but. Uh, As people discover technology, kind of the magic went away. And so while you have like centaurs and minotaurs and elves and fairies and pixies and all these different creatures living as humans do in our world today, like they have cell phones, they go to public high school, they have cars and buses and fast food chains, you know, like it is very much our modern world, but in a universe where magic used to exist. Um, And so it's a really, really unique place to set a movie because the key to onward is relating to these characters and relating to their relationship, um, and and really diving into how they how these two bros interact with one another. And in order to do that, and to set it in this fantasy world, you have to have a way to bridge that gap. And so, by making them seem human, and also giving them fantastical, you know, abilities and elements in a world, it, it really blends, you know, uh, the D and D style of of. You know, universe with the real world, and I, I really, really like that. It's animated so beautifully. Um, they're more than most Pixar movies. I think this is uh, the characters are very, very expressive. Um, you know, when you watch them argue, especially uh, Octavia Spencer's character, the Manticore. You know, there's so many real human expressions in their face. You know, m- even more than you get uh, in you know in something like Inside Out or in um, you know from Woody and Buzz in Toy Story. Like it, they really feel human in how they're speaking and how they're interacting, how they're emoting. Um, And that, that really helps drive the emotion of this home. But at the core of the story, it's two brothers voiced by Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Um, And they, they they don't really know their dad. Um, Tom Holland's character, Ian, their uh, the dad died right after he was born. And Barley, uh, Chris Pratt's character was only like three years old. So they've lived most of the life without their dad. And um, you know, the younger one having no memories at all of their father. Um, because he died when he was born. So he, on the 16th birthday of the younger brother, they get this wizard staff that was gifted to them from their dad. And it comes with a note. He con- he, he found this spell and he created this spell that would bring him back for one day because he wanted to see how his boys turned, turned out. And so, you know, the older brother, Barley is very much into like D and D and stuff. And he plays this D and D game um, that is, uh, it's called quests of Yorn, I, th- I think. And, um, He keeps saying it's historically accurate because the world used to be filled with magic. And you saw that in the intro, like how the world used to be. And um, so he knows all about all this fantasy stuff, but he can't do any of it. He keeps trying with the wizard staff and trying to bring the spell and bring the dad back. And he can't. And finally, you know, uh, Ian tries it and like just playing around and it works. And he realizes Ian has some ability to him like the dad did. And so they start this spell like you see in the trailer. It only works halfway. The little phoenix gem that causes the magic breaks and they only get the bottom half of their dad back. They only get his legs and they want to see, they want to know their dad. They want to see the rest of him. So they have to go on this quest because, you know, Barley's like, Oh, I know where to, what to do. You have to find the manticore and you have to find this thing. And it's, it's a, it's a classic quest to go find this Phoenix gem so that we can bring our dad back. But you know, the clock's already started. So they have 24 hours to find it and like, and see their dad. And it's a really, really beautiful story about these brothers and their, their love for one another and their love for their dad that they don't really know. Um, and what I really appreciate and love so much about this movie, I, if y'all don't know this about me, I have well, I have one brother. I'm the older of two brothers, and so my you know Kyle and I have a special relationship because we're the only ones. And so this movie really related to me on that front, especially as the older brother, because Dan Scanlon, the director, modeled this after his real life. Um, he was the younger of two brothers. When he was just younger than a year old, his dad passed away, and they had a special relationship because you know his older brother kind of had to help raise him and this is a very true story to his childhood not about the journey but about their relationship and um so you have to try and bring the dad back and kind of it feels at first like you know ian wants to meet his dad because he's never met his dad and he has all this legacy to live up to and people talk about remind he reminds them of you know of their dad and but he has no idea what he was like and it kind of begins as Ian wants to see what his dad's like. But over the course of it, and I don't want to give anything away about the ending, but the ending is so beautiful. It's one of my favorite Pixar endings because I didn't see it coming. And it really changes what the movie's about. And you realize that Dan Scanlon has been telling you a much different story than you think you've been experiencing in the whole movie. And it, it's it's about a different aspect of the relationship and about what those brothers have been through. Um, and kind of when that clicks with you, it really, really hits you and sits with you and you know, it's like, Oh, like this is it's a much more powerful story than you than you expect it to be. Um, I really, really appreciate the ending a lot. There are – it starts off a little slow, I think. There's some kind of wonky storytelling asp- storytelling aspects, some pacing and plot, you know, stuff in the beginning where they're trying to set up this fantasy world. And it just kind of – it just kind of speed bumps a little bit. But it's still – you know, it's still fun. And as that world really gets built and as the story goes along, it really comes in its own and, and it ends so well, which is the opposite, I think, of a lot of Pixar movies that start so great. And the ending the is always fine. You know, but it's kind of like predictable, or you know, it's kind of formulaic with Pixar movies. This, you know, started okay, and then it, I think it ended on a real, real high note. Um, and I really, really love the the story that it ended up telling. Just to really quantify
1: it, it uh, where would you rank it in kind of like recent pre- Pixar releases? So
2: I'm actually I started putting together a list next week on Comic Book. I'm going to have a, a ranking of all the Pixar movies. There's 22 now. Um, i have kind of in terms of just how good of a movie it is. I, I think it's probably in the middle of the pack. It's not a Top tier Pixar movie to me, like uh, like a Toy Story, Coco, Ratatouille, Incredibles, oh, Coco. those kind of movies. Um, <laughs> go, go. But I I do think it's just a step down from that. I I think it's right there with you know Monsters Inc. and uh, Finding Nemo, and and it's it's right there for me um, in the middle of those. But taking I think,
1: gender into account and and the story being aimed at you know brothers versus you know girls, how would you compare it to Brave?
2: I mean I I like it better than Brave. I think as a movie as you know. Good or bad, like as a quality of film, I think it's right about the same. I think you know part of it's the personal connection I have to this story. Yeah, that's why I said. Before, um, so. I, I I I like it better, but I think quality wise, it, it, it's right there with it. I think Brave's a pretty underrated movie. Yeah, um, this one has already seemed underrated. That's yeah, like that, that's I that, what I really feel about this. is going to be like a Brave or a Toy Story Two or a Monsters University, which is Dan Scanlon's other Pixar movie, um where it's not going to make a ton of money this week. I mean, it's going to win the box office, but it's not going to make like. 180 million dollars like Incredibles 2 did you know uh, and you've already got some critics some reactions are kind of like well I mean it's fine it's Pixar but it's okay and I think that that's gonna kind of change the narrative's gonna change over time and it's gonna be looked at as one of those like underrated gems of yeah. Pixar
1: well I wanna tell you you're stupid life. Charlie but you've been proven right about cats over and over again so <laughs> I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. But uh, so oh, we'll see what the evolution of Onward <laughs> is. Uh, you guys go out and see it if you've been wondering. And uh, come back and let us know what you thought. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. We put up new episodes every Wednesday and every Friday on comicbook.com where you can subscribe to our RSS feed and get regular updates about the show or you can listen to us on your favorite podcast listening platforms. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Google Playlist or you can watch video of each episode on our comicbook.com YouTube page. If you want to talk to us about anything we were discussing on the show, offer some insights, or just say what's up, hit us up at the hashtag ComicBookNation. You can find me at Kofi Outlaw, At
0: Charlie Ridgely. And you can find me at C
1: B. And if you like the show, be sure this weekend to get in on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review because uh, when Janelle Wheeler's back next week... We are going to take Wednesday's show and talk to you guys about some reviews. Read them on air. And if we read yours, you get one of these awesome Comic Book Nation t-shirts sent your way. So this is your last chance uh, putting it in stone. Be sure to go out on iTunes. Leave those five-star reviews for us. And check back next week when we read a handful of reviews on the show. All right. That will do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. As always, I want to thank you guys for listening or tuning in to watch. Have a great weekend. Take care out there. Be safe with viruses, weather, everything else that's tried to kill us this week. And uh, yeah, just enjoy life. Yes. Have some fun escaping entertainment. Peace.